Amen. Well, we're going to, um, we're going to be looking into uh, the second chapter of um, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And um, I've got a little question uh, for uh, the Radiate guys uh, this morning, just a little bit of, uh, of uh, study for you to do while, while uh, I'm, I'm talking. And the question is, how long did Paul stay in Thessalonica? How many days was he there? And uh, so the answer's in the book of Acts. And... Um, uh, you'll have to work out how many days you think it was. It, it's a little range, so we can't say precisely, but, uh, uh, and I'm afraid there is no prize. Isn't that, isn't that mean? <laughs> you know, we were hoping for chocolate or something, but, you know, but uh, the prize is just digging into the Word of God and finding some nuggets there. <laughs> yes, thank you, Johnny, thank you. Okay, so we're looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians and, and chapter 2. And uh, we'll read from verse 1. And Paul's writing to them. He says, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. What does he say? He's been run out of town, basically. And uh, uh, when he was in Thessalonica, we'll come back to this in a moment, but he's saying it wasn't a failure. We'd previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, been thrown into jail, as you know, but with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God's our witness. We weren't looking for praise from men, not from you or indeed anybody else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anybody while we preached the gospel of God to you. Your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displeased God, they're hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, so that they may too be saved. And in this way they're always heaping up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God's come upon them at last. Well, we're not going to dwell on uh, the wrath of God this morning, happily, but uh, <laughs> we're going to dwell on uh, what Paul's got to say to uh, uh, the Thessalonians and uh, what God is saying to us uh, through this. Now, he's, he's writing around 51 AD, so not all that long uh, after Jesus had lived and, and died on the cross and risen again. He's probably writing from Corinth, and uh, he and his colleagues have arrived there uh, after they've been at Thessalonica, and then they go to a place called Berea, and then they go to Athens, and then uh, they get to, to uh, Corinth. 
but Paul leaves behind Timothy and Silas in Berea, which is the kind of next town along from Thessalonica. And uh, uh, he, he wants uh, Timothy and Silas to encourage uh, the people in Berea and uh, the surrounding district, but also he gets some up-to-date news. And these guys then come down to Corinth and, and catch up with him there. So at the start of chapter 1, we saw last week that uh, Paul uh, sends greetings to them, not just from himself, but also from Timothy and Silas. It's a kind of relational mission. It's a team uh, who, are, <laughs> who are together serving the gospel and serving God's purposes. So it's not just Paul. Uh, he's got some brothers with him who are uh, together serving. And Paul references their, their recent visit. He reminds them they'd been ill-treated in Philippi. They'd been thrown into jail, you remember. Uh, they're singing hymns at, at night time in Philippi. Uh, and uh, there's a, an earthquake and, and the, the prison is, uh, is open. The jailer thinks they've all escaped. But then uh, Paul says, no, we're still here. And uh, the jailer and his family, they're all saved. So it's, it's a great story where, uh, where God turns things around for Paul. And uh, they, they'd, they'd had a hard time. They were, they were beaten, they were put in chains, so uh, they didn't get an easy time there. Uh, but they weren't put off by all that in the next place they came to, which was Thessalonica. And so he says, I, you know, I wasn't put off by what had happened in, in, the, last, uh, in the last town we were in. I, I just got this burden to share the gospel. I'm going to share it here in Thessalonica too. And so he, he says uh, that's what they did. Uh, and uh, in Th Thessalonica itself, again, he gets a hard time. And he's, he's run out of town again by uh, the, the Jews there. But he had felt compelled to share the gospel with them because he says he wasn't so bothered about pleasing them or, or not. He wanted to please God. He felt a burden from God he had to discharge. And uh, we feel that sometimes here. That we, somebody will feel, I've just got something I feel I need to share uh, this morning. So thanks to uh, uh, Beth and to Jamie for coming up and sharing and to Tim uh, and to Johnny because they, they've each brought something this morning to share with us and God's given them something in their hearts to share and they've discharged that burden. Paul in the same way uh, was, was sharing the gospel because he wanted to please God. He felt a burden to do that. But he recognizes uh, since his arrival in Corinth uh, that he's heard some of the gossip that's going on back in Thessalonica uh, about his visit. And uh, some people say, oh, he was just here, he was just after our money, and uh, uh, he was just trying to flatter us and butter us up so that we signed up to his new uh, cult. He was greedy. He was just out to impress us a bit. And Paul writes saying, I wasn't, I wasn't looking to do any of those things when I was with you in Thessalonica. I wanted to share the gospel because it's, it's just the key to life and uh, I wanted you to have it. So his motives weren't, weren't to, to win them over by flattery or trick them. He'd been entrusted with the gospel and uh, he was conscious of the responsibility he had. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we have also been entrusted with the gospel and we share this responsibility and we discharge it in different ways. Some of us by writing songs, some of us by serving with the kids' work, some, some of us by preaching, some by uh, welcoming at the door. There are all sorts of different ways in which we do this, but there are folks outside this room who haven't heard the gospel that we meet on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's a little provocation here for us that uh, the gospel's in our hearts and our hands, and we can share it with others that we come across. We've got the same trust and responsibility to share the gospel. And Paul wanted to do this faithfully. He didn't want to misrepresent the gospel uh, by 
preaching one thing and then living in a completely different way. So he was careful to live in a way while he was in Thessalonica which uh, maintained the integrity of his message. So uh, it reminded me of those, those old sort of uh, snake oil salesmen that you, uh, you see in the Western sometimes. There's this chap in a top hat and a flowery bow tie, and he's, he's, got a, he's got a wagon, and he's selling some snake oil, and it's a cure for every known disease. And um, I looked it up, and uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was touted as a sort of hangover cure, as, a, as a, an answer to every illness. And even today, on, on, on the internet, you can find pages that say, well, actually, there are some health benefits to this snake oil stuff. It said, uh, there's, a, there's, there's a, a website which touts itself as organic facts. <laughs> it says, snake oil has some impressive health benefits. This may include soothing arthritic pain, improving skin health, boosting the immune system, protecting heart health, reducing irritation on the skin, increasing cognitive function, balancing mood, even strengthening the hair. <laughs> then, it says, <laughs> then it says, there are, however, a few mild side effects. Well, uh, don't, don't <laughs> now, you know, a snake oil salesman comes along, he says, oh, try this, it, whatever's wrong with you, it'll fix it, you know, it's great. Just give me a dollar and you can have a bottle of this wonder elixir, this wonderful stuff. Now, now Paul wasn't, wasn't preaching that kind of message. He, he had something which was actually true. He had something which actually would help the, the folks at Thessalonica. And he wants to share the gospel with integrity. Now, he'd lived there um, for a little while. Anybody worked out how long he lived there? Not yet? It's a work in progress, folks. We'll come back to that. It's in uh, around Acts 17, you'll find the answer. So uh, he, he preaches there on a, on a number of Sabbaths, and um, uh, eventually then he's run out of town. So they've had an opportunity to, to hear him preaching, but they've also uh, seen that he worked hard while he was there. He wanted to support himself and his colleagues. And uh, we think he was a tent maker or maybe a leather worker, uh, so he would have been working away, uh, earning some money, doing some work to uh, support himself and uh, Timothy and Silas and others while they were there. I thought it was interesting that he could just drop into the synagogue. It says, says in Acts 17, you know, he, he calls in at the synagogue and starts preaching. So, so somebody could come through the door now and, uh, and start preaching. Uh, how, would we, how would we deal with that? It might be a bit odd in our present day, but maybe it was a, a more common thing for an itinerant preacher in those days to go around, bring, you know, I've got the latest message from, uh, from Rome or from Constantinople or from somewhere else. So uh, maybe, maybe uh, not as unusual as we would find it. But uh, anyway, he, he preaches for several weeks, and eventually, uh, because he's... Uh, He's preaching powerfully, and people want to hear him, and not not the not the usual local preacher, uh, the, the the local preacher, and, and uh, his colleagues running him out of town. And um, he would have he would have stood out in this respect because he wasn't looking for money from them. He wasn't saying, "I'll come and preach if you pay me," uh, but he was coming because he felt this burden from God to do so. And he would have shared with them the radical change that had resulted in his own life from his own personal encounter with Jesus. He'd met with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and he'd literally been turned around from somebody who hated the church, he hated Jesus, who hated the whole message of the gospel, to somebody who was prepared to be humiliated, to be imprisoned, to be beaten, even to die for uh, the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ. So his encounter with Jesus had had a profound effect on him, uh, a really radical effect, completely transforming his life. He gave up everything 
uh, he was a, a privileged guy. He was, he was a kind of lawyer, uh, uh, teaching uh, the, the, the Word of God as he saw it in sort of Old Testament pharisaical terms. Uh, so he would have been well regarded in the community. He gave up all that in order to go on the road and preach the gospel. And he wanted to preach it with integrity, so he didn't want anything in his life to interfere with the integrity of the, the gospel message. So I suppose that's the first thing for us uh, in our lives. We uh, want to make sure that we live in a way uh, that doesn't draw away from or detract from the message of the gospel. We want people to see in our lives the gospel at work. We don't want to see huge inconsistencies between what we're saying is the gospel. Oh, I go to church, uh, but you know, Friday and Saturday nights I get blind drunk and, uh, you know, that, that would detract from the message of the gospel. God empowers us to live in a way uh, that maintains the integrity of the gospel. He gives us his own righteousness as we are in Christ. Now, he, while he was in uh, Thessalonica, if you read in Acts, he, it says that he um, explained and proved that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead and that this Jesus he was proclaiming to them was the Messiah. Now remember, he was, he was preaching primarily in the synagogue, and so he's preaching to Jews who would have been expecting, waiting for the Messiah, and he says, this, this, is, this is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. He was and is and is to come. He is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And so it's quite a, it's quite a, a radical message. And, uh, you know, we're warned that in the last times people will... Uh, come with a false message. And so we need, to, we need to test this message. You know, is Jesus the Messiah? And, and Paul had been able, to, because he knew the Scriptures well from his training uh, as, a, as a Pharisee, he was able to prove, yes, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Uh, he, uh, he is the Messiah. He'd had a thorough training, he says, under uh, Gamaliel, he says in Acts 22. So he knew the Old Testament. He knew all the promises that were made there about the Messiah. And he could see how Jesus had been the fulfillment of all those promises. Not one of those promises that had been made about Jesus. Some of them hundreds of years before Jesus uh, came here as a baby. All of those promises had been fulfilled by Jesus. So Paul was able to say with real confidence, he was able to prove this Jesus, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so he used scripture in this powerful way uh, to evidence Jesus' claims and his message was rooted in the Old Testament. There was no New Testament at the time, of course. He was busy writing it to the, uh, the folks at Thessalonica. And interestingly, this letter to the Thessalonians is one of the, the earliest of his letters. So you remember that we looked at Corinthians last year, and, and that was written in, in the 60s AD, so some 10 years later. He wasn't, he wasn't a very fast letter writer, I thought. You know, you know, a few letters, maybe one a year, you know, where, where's the rest of it? But uh, we've, we've got what God wanted us to have. And this was one of his early letters to the Thessalonians. And he reminds Timothy uh, later on when he's writing to him in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So he's using the Old Testament scripture, which essentially is what he's talking about there, but we can enlarge this now to include the New Testament scripture that we've received as well. It's scripture which reveals God's purposes to us. We see God's general revelation around us in, uh, in creation, but it's scripture which brings alive God's purposes for us and tells us that Jesus died and rose again and gives us God's plans, his destiny for us 
So scripture is really important, and Paul makes use of it here in uh, Thessalonica. And then the last of the three points, so there's, there's the integrity of Paul's lifestyle as he's, as he's preaching. There's the scripture that he's using as the basis of his message. And then thirdly, there's the power of God at work. And this is so important. We could just you know, read a bit of stuff together, read a novel together, read something together, and think, oh, well, that was edifying, that was interesting, thanks very much. But there's real scripture, uh, real power in, in, in the scripture, real power in the word of God. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed, it says, at work in you who believe. Now, Paul, we've seen, had been absolutely turned around and anointed for service by the power of God, but he continued to be motivated and energized by God, and uh, he drew uh, some of that energy from uh, the Scripture. The, The message that he brought in Thessalonica was based on the Scripture. He proved that Jesus was the Lord and Christ uh, from the Scripture. And this sense of the Word of God being at work in us in the same kind of way is important. And the word in the Greek here in, in, uh, in this, this little passage in Thessalonians is energetai. We get the word energy from it. It means working within uh, uh, in, in Greek. And this particular sense of the word here, the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the tense of it and so on, it's being made to work in us by God. So God is working something within us uh, through the Word of God. There, is, there isn't a sense that the uh, Word of God itself is a kind of... Um, uh, magic bullet, um, but, but God's working powerfully within us and uh, through his word. And uh, I just was, was reminded as I was preparing this about this old book of Terry Virgo's uh, called The Spirit-Filled Church. And uh, we, we, um, we, we love to see the power of God at work amongst us. But Terry says here, uh, you know, it's important not to, not to lose sight of our scriptural foundations. He says the gospel comes in words. It's good news that has to be understood. You don't just catch Christianity like catching, he says, influenza, but we might say COVID now, mightn't we? Nor do you simply attend exciting meetings, hoping simply to get caught up in the euphoria. Philip's first question to the Ethiopian was, was not, do you feel it? Do you feel a kind of warm, tingly, fuzzy feeling? But he says, do you understand what you're reading? Jesus says that the unfruitful pathway in the parable of the sower represented those who didn't understand the word. The Thessalonians, in contrast, received the word not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. They understood it, they believed it, they respected it, and found that it performs its work in you who believe. It's being made to work within us by God. So we get a sense of this in a number of uh, scriptures. You know, so uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says to the Corinthians, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but it's God who's been making it grow. So the, the, the power of God, the energy of God is at work within us as we reflect on the scripture. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everybody who believes, first the Jew and then the Gentile. So there's this sense of, of God's power at work in us through his word. And 
I just wanted to reflect on a couple of other scriptures that just emphasize this sense of God's power at work in us today. Because we can feel, oh, Sunday morning, a bit weary, had a long day yesterday, and, uh, uh, you know, been a busy week. I'll go to church, tick the box, go home and have a snooze. But the power of God is at work in us, dear brothers and sisters. In Ephesians 1, uh, 18 to 21, he says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. This is, this is wonderful hope. It's not, it's not something uh, second rate. It's a wonderful hope. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in this present age, but in the age to come, like now and later and all to come forever. Jesus is in charge. He's been raised. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, dear brothers and sisters, is at work in us today. Later on in Ephesians, Paul says, uh, be strong in the Lord, he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And uh, that, that, that little expression there in 6.10, just before that uh, bit about the armor of God, it says, in the Greek it says, go on being strengthened, go on being empowered by God. It's not just that uh, you can just read a bit and then feel, oh, I feel better now, but go on being empowered by God because of what you've read. Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered by God. Colossians 1.11. We're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You know, there's nothing that God can't do. He called all this into, into existence just by speaking a word. There's nothing that is beyond God. He has glorious might. And we're strengthened with all power according to that same glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience. We're hearing about how Dear Grace has endured uh, for a while and been patient and just done what she needed to do, eaten the right food for a bit, but then by the grace of God, this wonderful healing. I was, I was in tears, dear brothers and sisters, to hear of what God had done for her. Thank you so much for sharing that, Beth. It was just, just lovely to know that God is at work amongst us. He, he's not forgotten us. He's not left us here to do our best while we wait for Jesus to return. He is working powerfully in our hearts and minds and in our lives. And the word of God, it says in Hebrews, lastly, is uh, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is effective. It's effective in our lives. There's a strong, strong sense in the scripture that the power of God is at work in us if we believe it. Uh, the scripture, if we believe the gospel, which we have chosen to do. It's not something that's feeble or ineffective or stops when we don't feel like it. God's power is at work in us. It's helping us to write great songs to worship him, uh, to live lives that are pleasing to him, uh, to share the gospel effectively, uh, to live in a way that honors God. We're not left here uh, without help. We are wonderfully helped and sustained by the power of God. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, when, when Terry wrote this book, uh, he, was, he was wanting to encourage us to be a spirit-filled church. He wanted to encourage us to be full of the Holy Spirit, but without losing sight of uh, that firm foundation of Scripture. And, and perhaps we've gone back to being 
very, very uh, careful to be in the scripture and we've lost sight of something of the, the supernatural power and glory that God wants to reveal uh, in our midst. And I'd like us to recover something of that. You know, uh, for many of you, your, your parents' generation had an exciting time seeing uh, the church being filled with the Spirit. And some of you will remember that. And we don't always see that these days. But the church is meant to be a place that's full of the Holy Spirit, full of the power of God being demonstrated and revealed, encouraging, blessing, strengthening, enabling, healing, providing, wonderfully uh, assisting us at every point and at the same time glorifying Jesus. So I'd love us to, uh, to, to pray in a moment for a recovery of that beautiful power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us as a church. And that will come as we live with integrity, as Paul did with the Thessalonians, uh, living in a way that did not detract from the message of the gospel. There was a purity about his life and a beautiful purity about the gospel those were wholly consistent. So we want to live with integrity and righteousness. Sometimes we're tempted, aren't we, not to do that. We're tempted to sort of slip off the path and uh, to do something that we know isn't quite right. Pray for God's strength, for his grace to say no to ungodliness at that point. Let's live with integrity. Let's keep our feet firmly rooted on the scripture. That's what Paul used when he went to the Thessalonians and shared with them. But let's be expecting the power of God at work in our lives. And sometimes we have to wait for that. Grace has had to wait for eight years, seven or eight years, a little while, but it's come through. God's come through. His wonderful power has been made evident in her, and we'll pray for that to be sustained in her so that uh, there's no lapse and that she continues to be able to eat everything she wants. But we want to pray too for much more, don't we, that, that God will be very evidently at work amongst us. Uh, we'd love to see miracles. We'd love to see uh, words of knowledge. We'd love to see uh, the, the Holy Spirit working to bring provision for those who need it, bring healing, uh, to bring conviction for those who need that. Oh, Lord, I've got that wrong, but the grace of God is sufficient for me. So let's be, let's be praying for these things, for integrity for one another. Let's not just for ourselves, but for each one of us here, for integrity, for, for a great appetite for the Scripture and uh, a growing knowledge of it, but also uh, for the power of the Holy Spirit to be very evident amongst us. And uh, uh, perhaps I could ask Johnny and Sarah to come up uh, and, and play for us in a moment. We're, we're going to break bread together, and uh, uh, we will uh, we'll just perhaps pray for one another again to know the power of God released in our midst, to know uh, integrity, His righteousness, uh, as our watchword really here amongst us to know the, the Holy Scripture, the wonderful Word of God, uh, really evident amongst us, that we'd be having it on our lips, able to demonstrate that Jesus is who he said he was and will return in accordance with his promises. There's some, there's some great stuff here this morning. When I first looked at this chapter, I thought, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, sometimes you look and you think, mm. <laughs> your mind goes a blank. But I pray that God has helped us this morning and... Uh, will prompt us to be in the scripture, to be waiting for the Holy Spirit. Let's stand up together and let's, let's pray. And 